Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Liberty Squadron Podcast. My name is Andrew Lewinsky and this week I'm joined with Brett Freeman. Hey everyone. And Jonathan Lee. Hello everybody. Well, we had a episode all planned out for you guys. We were going to talk about some interesting pilots that sometimes see play, sometimes don't see play. I think we're going to save that episode for next week. Um, since we have like a little bit of a short cast and Chris isn't here with us this week, he is busy doing family things, I believe, or doing whatever. We're going to talk about things that our personal preference of like we're going to give you our opinion on things i know we don't usually do this and like we generally stay away from this but i think every once in a while people like want to hear different opinions on things and you know we're not always going to see eye to eye on these things but i think at the same time even like on the cast members I i know don't see eye to eye but we're going to give you our opinions and go from there so, first topic of discussion that we're going to hit on tonight is the hottest, probably, right now in the X-Wing community, and that is fortressing. Mobile fortressing, um, just regular fortressing, stuff like that. So, if, I'm sure everyone is aware of what fortressing is, is if you're playing a game and trying to stall or something along those lines to... Get an advantage some way or another that, you know, you're either relying on a final salvo or something like that or uh, the perfect engage. It really kind of comes down to that, that you're trying to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess like you're trying to get an advantage some way or another to win the game um, by delaying. So, Brett, let me ask you. What's your opinion on this? Like, what what do you think about this aspect of the game at the moment? Well, I mean, clearly, X Wing is a game of position. Oh, uh, you went there. <laughs> I I mean, I I don't think anyone enjoys you know the the concept of slow play, and when a clock is involved in a competitive format, hell, I mean, running down the clock is always going to be a strategy that's going to be employed by some teams um, or people. Um, and it's one I've I've never enjoyed in any aspect. Um, it, it feels really bad when there's just nothing you can do to improve your own situation because you're just locked out of, of any any actions or any any agency, I guess to, to borrow that word. Um, so no, I, I think it's it's a big problem. I think it's something that they they need to try and work on. Um, and we saw at worlds that they were. Um, kind of play testing that whole chess clock format, um, which sounds like it went over very um, unfortunately. So I don't think that's going to be the long-term solution, but I think, I think everyone agrees that pace of play is something that's pretty serious and they need to try and come up with a, a solution for, but uh, I don't think anyone's come up with anything that sounds even close to being, uh, you know, decently uh, implemented. Yeah. That is definitely something that like I- I've, seen in the past people will always suggest let's do this or let's do that and it always like ends up being like five steps more than it needs to be like they need to come up with some kind of simple solution like you said like with chess clocks i know it was supposed to be a five round event they ended it after three because either problems or something or they got the data that they needed but precisely that like slow play like okay and like i'm not even gonna say like there's definitely, I would say, a difference between slow play and fortressing, but I, I think at the same time, um, there's a little bit, I don't know, sway on this because a lot of times you see people fortressing in the beginning, slow play at the end, or even running away. Like so, like something like that. People don't a lot of times don't think about is. Are you points fortressing at the end with something like soon tier where like, okay, but like I, I know I don't have to get shot. And then like, is this going to come into like a situation that like, you know, soon tier isn't, um, you know, shooting for like five, six rounds because he knows that he's up on points and he's just running away. And is that going to be something that like you can call the judge on and be like, hey, judge, listen, soon tier hasn't taken a shot at me and like X amount of rounds, you know, can you do something about this? What do you guys think about that? I, I mean, I I think you're entirely correct, right? That slow play, maybe slow play is not the right word, right? But 
clock manipulation, let's call it, is not just at the beginning of the game and can easily be at the end of the game. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not proud to say that that's how I ended up winning a bunch of the games that I won over World's Weekend because my list just didn't have a ton of firepower. It was far more defensive, and I did run away a lot, and I it didn't feel good to my opponents, and honestly, it felt really bad to me. Like, it, it just wasn't what I really wanted to travel halfway across the country to do. Um, so I think, I think they're, they're both problems, but I think it's harder to tell someone at the end of the game when, you know, you've, you've done your, your win condition, right? You, you've achieved exactly what you set out for. And now it's, well, why don't you just turn it and potentially lose the game? Because we want you to do that. I, that one seems harder to me than saying, all right, let's, let's at least get some, some dice rolling. Right. And I, I think this is a harder like situation that I, I think people think. I mean, if if you look at like football and you're ahead on points and you get the ball back, how many times are, are is those teams just running the ball, trying to manipulate the clock, do whatever they can to make sure that they don't lose the lead? Um, and it's kind of like, you know, if football has it or like major sports, like you see it in basketball, if you know, if you're so many points ahead, you hold that ball until the shot clock is basically expired. Um, like it, it's kind of like an aspect of competitive play that like, I guess it is part of the game. So like, it really kind of comes down to like, I mean, what if, like, something like basketball comes into, like, the game where, like, they're like, okay, we know we can win the game within, like, five seconds, so we're just going to hold the ball, you know, as long as possible. Like, I mean, like, you don't see that much at at first. So maybe that's kind of why, you know, running away is a little bit more acceptable as opposed to the vice versa, if that makes sense. I mean, like, maybe we see it in hockey where, like, you know, we know we can win a shootout, so we're just going to maybe like sit, or sit with the puck till time, or vice versa. Like I'm not, I haven't watched hockey in forever. So if you're, if there's any hockey fans that are listening and like say that that is never possible. I'm sorry, but like I'm tra- trying to just like think. a risky hockey strategy, right? But like I mean, like obviously the the goal is always to win, like before time's called. But like if if like let's say you know you had this, you know the sharpshooters at the end, um maybe that is a possibility. Jonathan, what's your take on all this? Well, I think you mentioned several different issues. So first, fortressing or failing to engage at the beginning. Second, pace of play slash slow play. And then three, I guess, like um, games coming to completion, win conditions, that sort of stuff. For the... um, First thing, the mobile fortressing, the failure to engage. Uh, I know that at Nova, like where we were at, you know, um, the marshal there had said a very clear, said very clearly at the beginning that they expected us to not stall for stalemate and to move your ships. And there were a couple of times like he'd walk past, I had him walk past my table and, and tell us, not be like, hey, pick up the play pace, you guys got to do something. I mean, and uh, and then it was known and expected, and I didn't hear any complaints there. So I think that for like spending a little bit of time figuring out where your opponent is going is fine. Jockeying for position is fine, but there is sort of a limit on that. Um, as for the second issue, pace of play, slow play, I know people have talked a lot about it. That's that's a hard one because by the time you call the judge, it's kind of too late. And when do you call the judge and when is someone deliberately doing it and not? And then what's the expected amount of time? That's, that's a hard one. So I don't really know what to say there that hasn't already been said. And for the last one, you know, running away, I mean, I totally get people disengaging, running away. It makes sense. There is just this sense of like when a game doesn't, reach completion you know it's like you watch games and they're still exciting but there are a lot of games like i if they weren't keeping a running total of the score you can't tell who necessarily won at the end if you were just watching it and didn't know how many points the ships were worth and you wouldn't be able do you know what i mean there that's a really like a great point right like you know if you are not 
closely familiar with what everyone is worth, you might have absolutely no idea who won the game just just from watching it. And that's not really a great situation because part of what makes X-Wing really fun is how cool it is to just sit there and watch the games. Um, and, you know, if you have no idea who's winning because it looks completely even. And again, this happened in a ton of my games where I didn't think that they went to completion. I just made sure I put myself ahead at 75 minutes even. And, you know, if I had 10 more seconds, maybe I lose. Um, right. That's that's not really what I think the designers want from the game at all. Um, so I, I yeah. think that's a really good point. Yeah, I think like for casual players, like casual players who have never encountered someone who mobile fortresses or stalls, I mean, be infuriating or like for new players. I mean, they would be I mean, they'd be so confused that their opponent is not coming out of their corner. And then same with like the sort of win condition sort of aspect. And like, it's important to win tournament games, to know your win condition, to be like, I have to kill X number of ships with only losing this number of ships. And then after that, I can disengage. That's important to know. But it sort of can lead to sort of unsatisfying games, sort of. And I think a lot of that could be addressed with changes in not necessarily in the core game rules, but changes in tournament scoring could do it like or, um, you know, like how many points is a win worth? How many points is a loss? What is a win? What is a loss? What is a draw? You know, are there draws? What do you that sort of thing? Yeah, that's so I, I've played our model like three times. Um, I spent like 500 bucks on it, but I played it like three times. Um, and at least it's my understanding that it's not just you get a point for winning and no points for losing. Like there's a set number of points and they get distributed out based on how thorough the, the win actually was. And a system like that really encourages you to go in and to, to, you know, completely play the entire 75 minutes instead of just trying to do your half points on one torrent and run away for the rest of the game. Right. And something like that would be cool. So it's funny you mentioned that because like in a lot of other miniatures games, you have like things that um, have like major victories, minor victories, major losses, you know, minor losses. And it would be, that might be like a good thing to bring to X-Wing where like a major victory could be something like where you destroy all of your ships, which could be like worth like, uh, let's say like three tournament points. Um, a minor victory might be something like you, you won on points. So that could be worth, you know, X amount of tournament points. I don't know. That's something you, we could sit down and figure out. But um, it's a matter of, like, X, like you know, what the direction of the game they want to take this in. It's like, we've had this state of the game for, what, like 10 years now almost? That what X-Men came out in 2010. Um, and it almost seems like we've gone through different phases of the tournament world, but... I think at the same time, we're like almost still at the same point that we were at the beginning. Like, granted, they took away draws, but they added final salvos or and stuff like that. But I still think that we're at a point that like it needs some kind of modification. So, I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jonathan. No, I was gonna say in the past. So I guess X Wing's been out since what twenty? I think like 2012 or eleven. I don't know exactly, but um. In the past, they used to have the modified modified wins. Do either of you guys remember modified wins? I do not. In first edition, so that was you, before my time. Yeah, in first edition, if you originally, if you won by less than twelve points, it was a modified win, and it was something along the lines that a full win was five points, I think, and a modified win was three, and then a loss is zero, something along that line. And then, but what could happen is you could have like four victory. You could win like fully win three games and then have three modified wins, but, and you'd get less fewer tournament points than someone who lost games. So there, it was a little unsatisfied. So they got, did away with those. So then, uh, and then with the draws, then with draws, you know, there's that whole controversy about intentional drawing leading to the final salvo rules that we have today. And then the final salvo rules influence the game too. And that's when you had back in first edition, a lot of that stalling that we would see with like, um, I don't know, like quad Wookiees or lists like that. Brett, were you going to say something? Well, so final salvo kind of gets us right back to what you were talking about, Andrew, with the, you know, the shootout, right? And, you know, and in every competitive game, I guess, what matters is what kind of tiebreaker format is there. Right. And going back to sports, you know, we 
we have, you know, the NFL now where we have overtime where both teams try and get possession, stuff like that. They, they're trying to tweak things to make it more enjoyable. And, and X-Wing is sort of just standing still with a ridiculously stupid one where you add up the number of dice and roll them. And, uh, you know, the person who has more dice going into it is a massive, massive favorite uh, to win the entire thing. And I, I just don't see why that's the metric that should be used to try and figure out who the winner is. Sure. And, and yeah. but don't get me wrong. There's boring games of football. Like it seems like there's a lot of like Super Bowls that even end up that way. That there's just like some games that like nobody's scoring or anything like that. So like there's going to be boring games of X-Wing as well. Like oh, of course. So it's going to happen. But um yeah, going along that lines of like the tiebreaker like it, it's it, it's a very interesting metric because um but I, I think it's kind of weird in the same way that, like, with you tend to get more salvo dice with lower initiative ships. And maybe that's kind of like a plus. So, like, I mean, like, granted, don't get me wrong, I understand the quad viper is it's what initiative three, four of them um, that beats a lot of things. And they have a crazy amount of reposition and everything. And, you know, they're behind three green dice so uh, i get that's not exactly like a different um like metric that i'm talking about but uh, maybe like that is like the bonus like that that's behind their head you know like okay well you know if you bring a bunch of vultures um you're gonna have a lot of final salvo dice but you're that's kind of like the bonus that you're getting by not bringing aces where like the aces you know are bidding deep and everything like that and and if it was just the bid, I I would say that that makes sense, right? But the game is premised on doing damage to ships by rolling red dice. So the more red dice you have already, you know, in a, a number of matchups, you're going to have a pretty solid advantage at the initial part of the game. Um, so I don't know. I I just don't like it personally. Like I don't I don't like shootouts in hockey or soccer. That's it's just not the same game that I was watching for the whole first, you know two hours or whatever so i don't i don't want that to be the the tiebreaker it would be just like if baseball they were like okay well we're tied let's go to a home run derby like what i'm sorry that that's not any way to to finish out this game and that would be awesome what are you talking about but at the world series right do you really want to see them go to a uh, home okay, run derby? Sure. no you want you want extra innings until someone wins at the game that they were there to play um so i, I and i don't i don't have a good solution as to, to what final salvo could be, right? I, I mean, everyone, again, has nice solutions, you know, sometimes involving, you know, fractions and math and all all this stuff, but it's there's got to be something better than just roll your 12 dice against the other guy's six dice and be surprised that the 12 dice win. So, so you get So an idea, this is not my idea, but I heard someone suggest, well, so some people say you just flip a coin, so it doesn't so it doesn't advantage anybody. Um, which I think would be fine for two people who just each individually stayed in their corner and never engaged. You could just have them flip a coin. And then on those circumstances where somehow you actually end up at final salvo when you kill exactly the same amount, I heard someone suggest, um, so you don't, you roll red dice equal to the number of red dice on ships that you killed. So if I killed two of, um, Brett's ships and they rolled four red dice and then he killed one of my ships they rolled three red dice I would roll four and he would roll three okay I like that because that gives you an incentive to make sure you're fully killing the ships as yeah. well um, yeah. but then yeah, what happens when, what happens if I have like nine red dice and then uh you know we end on a mutual destruction is then they roll nine dice and then I would roll six or something it's something you to think flip. About. you can flip a coin yeah um, just flip the coin, yeah. So, like, yeah, like, going back to, like, what I was saying, like, you know, this could be an interesting aspect where, you know, to get rid of Final Salvo, that going with the um, major victories, uh, the minor victories, and then let's say there's no shots at all, there's no Final Salvo, then, you know, you could do something where, like, a draw is possible um, with, like, no points being made, and then, you know, where that's, you know, with zero points. Um, yeah. you know, going into it, so I like that. Like a draw in a draw, effectively both players lose. Yeah. So, 
I, I mean, like, in, like, I mean, it would have to be like a draw that like no put like no damage done, like something like along those lines, because that never happens by accident. Um, hmm. like that always happens in, in some way or another. But yeah, like, do we want to keep going on with this topic, or do we want to wrap up, uh, move on to something else? Any final thoughts on this topic? I guess I should say. I can't really think of anything else. I mean, I think we hit it pretty pretty on point, which is really that it's bad, but we don't really have a good solution for it either. Yeah, I mean, I think changing tournament scoring is the way. And actually, I like your idea, Andrew, of like, if you kill... You know, actually, uh, I heard Ryan Fleming say on some podcast, maybe on Stay on Target, he was saying in their league in Pittsburgh that they run, or at his store, that if you kill all the opponent's ships, you gain more points for league points than if you just win. So it incentivizes people to try to kill all 200 points of the enemy's list, of your opponent's list. So I like that with like a major victory, minor victory, and a draw being worth the same as a loss. Or a draw where a 200, like where nothing is killed. Being a loss. Cool. Um, yeah, like I said, I think they could fix it that way. Like if... Um definitely destroying all your opponent's ships should definitely be worth more than, you know, points than uh, just running, like, doing two damage to a ship, getting it to half points, and then running away. Like, that's obviously not how the game of X-Wing, they intended it to be played. And it feels like that people um, support that into some capacity. I know some people do enjoy that, you know, let's do X amount of damage and run away. Um, but maybe, like, ace players prefer that. But I, I think there's... It, maybe it doesn't have to be like a full 200 points but like let's say like going back to like how you said it was back in the day there has to be like some kind of differential um maybe like it could be like after you destroy 150 or yeah like 150 points that it could be like considered a major victory um but it, it's something that like i think ffg has to take into consideration eventually and that could you know absolutely abolish a lot of these you know standings of like fortressing slow play all that stuff um so it'll be interesting to see what they present to us in the future they've been kind of dark we have like no news outside of epic so um it's interesting to see where ffg is going to take us so brett this next topic my dice (laughs) state your argument there's just nothing more infuriating to me than hearing someone complain about dice. Your dice are rolling probably right on average. That's what they do for most people. You're forgetting all the good results you have. You're just remembering the blankouts. The blankouts completely suck. I understand. There's a reason why I flew five A-wings with heroic for a while. It was because I, I needed some insurance against those black or blankouts. But it's it's the most insulting thing I think you could say to your opponent is, hey, uh, yeah, you out-diced me. Or, I, I would have totally had you if, if not for the dice. It, that's almost always never the case. I would say probably like 97 or 98% of the time, the dice do not decide the winner of the game, right? I, I joked earlier about how X-Wing a game is a game of position, but right, it, th- that's what kind of it is. You got to put yourself in the position to get the good shots, and to, to not get shot in return, and the dice matter, and when you blank out, it really, really does suck. But you should be able to recover for from it in most games, and I, I just can't stand when people complain about about stuff like uh, dice variants. So the, it's a very interesting topic, because um, I, I, it's very easy to blame your dice on your loss. And... Going back to, like, my games at Worlds, like, I think there was probably every game that I lost, and even won, I-, I could go back and pinpoint the exact moment that was the either my mistake, my opponent's mistake, anything along those lines. Um, you know, there was one time where, like, I I almost blamed my dice for it. Like, I mean, uh, Talonbane rolled up range one, into an inquisitor and rolled five dice and i scored one hit with fearless and i was just like you know oh damn i'm you know my dice but like looking back at that i had one hit one blank and three focuses and guess whose fault it was that i didn't have that focus it was absolutely mine because otherwise i would have scored five hits into it um so it's kind of 
like exactly what you you hit it on the head, Brett. Is I think. People don't remember their good roles. Like uh, you always hear about people saying, "Oh, you know, I blanked out here," and blah blah blah. But you never hear them saying, "Okay, I scored three hits there," and that is a very high variance, whether you think it or not. Um, you know, mods are good. You know, there's a reason that they, you know, Jedi are performing very well. I think we have like some stats floating around that you know, Jedi were what like or not Jedi, but Force users were like 52 percent of the cut something along those lines like it, it was pretty high because you know they have passive mods they can mod things where it's a reason that you know these things are good and if you blame your dice like you have to remember like the variance like i know in one of my games um in nova someone blamed their dice for something and it was like yeah okay so there was a variance that happened where like your sh- hits count it when they no they didn't count when they needed to but then they at other times in the game they like were doing damage but you know they didn't really necessarily make that big of a swing in the game um but when you look back out of it it's gonna happen like i mean like it is a dice game and good dice will be rolled and bad dice will be rolled but in the end of the game like if you really think that your dice are that cursed you know switch them out like who i'm sorry i don't remember off the top of my head who it was but like they did that you know they rolled the dice five thousand times or something like that um i think it's andrew lawrenson lawrenson right and and like but i I think at the same time um if you keep track of your own stats like i i guarantee you you that your dice are probably rolling average and you know, your losses are either to mistakes, like sometimes you shouldn't have been in a certain spot, or sometimes you should have made a different move. Sometimes you maybe should have run away, but, you know, you rolling dice, I mean, might not be the reason you're losing games. And it's just, if you blame your dice, you're never going to get better, right? Like you said, you're, you're looking back on your games, and you can pinpoint the moment when you either won the game or lost the game based on either how how well you did, how poorly your opponent did something, right? You need to be able to go back and objectively look at that and say, wow, I really screwed this up here. And if I didn't, I may have won the game because if you don't do that, you will continue to make the same stupid mistake, right? I don't know about you. Like I don't go to tournaments to just continually like finish on bottom tables, right? I want to get better. And the only way to get better is to, to figure out what you're doing wrong. So you're hurting yourself as well as being disrespectful to your opponent. So um, one way I like to, one of our guests before, Biophysical, I remember he had said, I forget if he said it on the podcast or if it was in his blog. So if you have poor dice, imagine how, imagine you played that game again and the dice were exactly the same. What could you do different to win the game? Because there's certainly something that you could do differently to win the game, even with the, you know, maybe suboptimal dice. I definitely agree with that. Um, and like, so don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, like, like I said, when I, I try to note all the time that I do roll like, like very good attack dice. Um, and I even note when I roll very good um, defense dice, but definitely like, think about that. Um, what, what bio said, it's something to really like look at yourself into the game. Um Sometimes, you know, like like I said, sometimes, like, you might have a game where, like, you roll, like, perfect dice and sometimes you don't. But it, it is very demoralizing to hear your opponent playing that dice. And, like, you shouldn't do it. Because um, you probably, unless you're, like, some kind of math whiz, you're probably not getting the right calculations out. Um, Jonathan, do you have any, like, you know, anything more on this? or um, Dice? Uh, no. No. Brad, do you want to close this one out then? What do you, what, what, I, I, I don't know what I, I know you're so heated. I know you're so heated about it. <laughs> I, I just, I don't, I don't know. Like, so I've been playing some games on Fly Casual lately, right? And I love that this guy who made it uh, added like this dice statistics box. So I can go back and I can go in and, and view like how good were my dice? How bad were my dice? Um, and what about the same for my opponents? And it, it, it kind of made me think, I wish I could do my practice games where my dice were 20% worse than average. Um, and then I could try and really learn how to win games with horrible dice. So that way, when you're playing for real, you know, it, it, it feels so much easier, right? It's like having a donut on your baseball bat. All of a sudden, you feel like a god as soon as you take that thing off. 
Um, I, I kind of wish there was a way to practice that way. You could just don't use tokens. <laughs> I guess that works, yeah. But I'm a, I fly Jedi, so that's that's rough. Yeah, I, I mean, like, and like that's the thing is like people always do remember their bad dice. Like that time that you rolled four blanks, and then you have a target lock and roll four more blanks. Like it happens. Um, it's the best thing to do though is shrug it off because there's probably other things that you could have done in that game that would have made that role better and, um, or not even made that role better, but put yourself into the situation that that role wouldn't have mattered. Um, that, that's probably like the more important thing to say. Um, that's what I would consider. Um, all right, let's move on to our next topic. All right, so next I want to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the bid wars that, that go on, you know, sporadically in X-Wing and uh, seem like they're maybe getting significantly worse since we had some people bidding like 177, I think may have been the lowest at Worlds. Um, and obviously, you know, the reason people bid is, is very clear. The person who has the lower bid gets to decide who's going to be first player, who's going to be second player, and... Obviously, it's going to be some ace player who wants to be moving last and having, uh, you know, quote unquote, perfect information with their their I-5 or their I-6, uh, who's who's going to be taking that massive bid. And bids are really problematic for a couple reasons. Um, but I think in second edition, probably the most problematic reason is the fact that those are the only points in X-Wing that are completely protected until you lose all of your ships. Right. In first edition, we only had half points for big ships. So, you know, if I had 80 points in a, in a, or not 80 points, but 40 points uh, in a, a small base ship that I could just regen with until the end of the game, those points were effectively safe. That's why I started out every single one of my games uh, towards the end of, of 1.0 saying, how much is your Miranda worth? Uh, because I was cutting everything out of my Miranda list to try and make it so mine was always worth one point more because then I knew they couldn't ever score those points. Um, and now where all of our ships are half point, except for, for points that are bid, it really, first off, can screw up the scoring significantly because all of a sudden now my 20 point bid gets added on to my 88 point Anakin, who's now effectively worth 108 points or, uh, 64 points. If you actually get him to half, which is worth more than most other ships, you know, even when they're, they're full, so you're giving this massive advantage to people who are willing to play with less points. Um, and, you know, those aces, they often don't need the extra little tools, right? It's much more important to them to be able to double reposition after someone else has than to, to take an extra upgrade or two. Um, so they really don't need the, the stuff that they're not taking, and they're getting this massive advantage in uh, first being able to decide player order and then also scoring. So I think bids are so unhealthy for the game and they're really just getting out of control when people are are bidding more than full ships to get that that power do we see um, i i completely understand and agree with you um do we see that as like a potential threat like i mean like uh what off the top of your head do you remember what ollie's list at worlds was like did he have a bid uh, i, I would imagine three points just three points um, no, yeah, like I said, I, I 100% agree with you. Like, that also feels bad when you're, like, there are untouched points. Like, maybe that's, like, something that they have to, like, take a look at that says, like, okay, you just tack those points onto the last ship in the game. Or um, I, I don't even think that can work as if you have two ships. How do you do that? I was going to say, like, well, for half points reasons. Get Jonathan. Well, you could do, uh, like, <clears throat> so instead of, like, points left... The winner, because right now, like whoever has the most points left on the board wins. You could be whoever killed the most points. Wouldn't that change the scoring? Or maybe I'm saying that wrong. Yeah, because right now it, yeah. it is points destroyed. Right. Um, or yeah. So what I, th I mean, I think that the best solution is that your bid automatically becomes points destroyed. Right, like, okay, you want to have a 23 point bid to make sure you're moving last. That's cool, but you've essentially started out with a TIE fighter that got taken off the board round one. Like, I think that's that's the only way you're going to be able to come in and and bring those bid sizes down because they're just getting even crazier. And I'm sure after Worlds, you know, 
we'll probably be seeing like low 170 bids at some point now because everyone's got to try and beat the 177. Yeah, like uh, I think what you're saying, John, like I mean with points um, destroyed, it, it is how it is now, but I, I think um, when you only have X amount of points on the table, like that, that basically um, you don't get those points until you destroy everything on that table. So even though it might be like, you know, less points, it still gets basically untouched until you destroy everything on the table. Um, and you do bring up a good point, Brett, because like everyone's kind of fretting with the Nantex and we know how deep Sunfat can bid. Um, so that's a little bit scary. So it, it will be interesting to see how that pans out. Um, but I, I mean, like you, you kind of sit in the realm of FFG saying, well, you know, you're losing those points by not bringing up grades, so you're kind of handicapping yourself, and um, which we all know is nonsense anyway. But it's it's kind of like an argument that I guess they kind of have up against us because then, like, is something like you moving last really gonna be that much of a problem with a ton of arcs or something like um, start of engagements phase stuff like? post movement or movement in like start of engagement phase or something like luke gunner that i know i everyone's probably like luke gunner you got to be serious like but i think at the same time he's there's been times that he has shown up and he has performed well for that very purpose like is that going to be something like ffg being like no you guys have to figure this out we've play tested this and you know we know what works uh what do you think about that it, it just seems to me when you have you know list making top 16 at worlds with 20 something point bids that you can play test things all you want ffg you get stuff wrong all the time too um i mean this seems like a a really serious problem that's out there i mean just earlier this week uh you know i was talking to you and chris and we were we were just throwing out list ideas and you know one option was to have this i don't remember how many points it was as a bid and the other was to take this upgrade card that would be really nice to have right and i i looked on Yasby and I said, oh no, clearly the bid is the right call here because that puts us at 89 points for the ship or leftover, you know, adding the bid to the, the ship, which is one more point than, uh, than regen Anakin, right? Like we shouldn't be, be making those choices. I think to not bring the cool cards and toys that FFG gives us because of scoring reasons. I, it just really feels bad for the game i mean maybe if first player just was done randomly always then that would take care of the problem too i don't know i'm sure there's a ton of solutions i've always liked the giving the points to the other person option but i really don't think it's it's fun for anyone when people are are doing these massive bids because then you you feel like you can't bring the stuff you want to bring if you want to seriously compete with them and you're flying you know i6 stuff I mean, I feel like, yeah, I don't know what I was trying to say before. I know it didn't make sense, <laughs> uh, but but uh, I feel like if you can afford to bid, like, all right, so like the um, Squad of Legend back at the beginning of second edition, the Whisper, um, Suntier, Redline could routinely just come in at 185 and it had no problems like crushing 200 point lists. And it feels like that's a sign that those elements are undercosted, that if 180 185 points could always beat to could reliably beat 200 points of other stuff and it goes back to maybe you know being first player is maybe too powerful it's just hard to cost you know the first player like there are a lot of games where just whoever's first players has such a huge influence on who wins or loses and it would be great if there's a way to like you know, I know they had said before they had play tested alternating who was first player, but they ended up not going with it because it was too complicated. But there'd be a, it'd be great if you could do something about that. And the complicated reason I have to say I, I hate personally, um, because it sort of shows the there's, you know, we think of X Wing kind of in a competitive format, and you know, I mean, X Wing was not designed for that. That's part of the reason we have second edition in the first place is it was kind of just designed as a really cool kitchen table game, right? Where they don't want to make things too complex for the the average person who just picks up a core set and wants to try it out with their family. Um, but, you know, for competition, I don't see why there can't be a different set of rules, right? I mean, there's already a ton of 
of complexities involved in the competitive game. I'm pretty sure passing a token across the table to figure out who's first player that turn really would not be beyond any of the people at these tournaments. It's almost like there's a component that comes in the core set um, that is designed for that, like called a first player token. It's true. It's true. Right now it just sits there the entire game. Wouldn't it be cool if it actually did something? <laughs> Maybe we need to get Liberty Squadron first player tokens out there. Maybe, maybe that'll be our, one of our new uh, thank you note rewards. I love it. Yeah, I, I definitely see what you're saying. Um, it, Jonathan brings up a good point, though, because like a lot of times when stuff like that does come into existence, like it, it does get points increased. And like I know I've thought about that too in the past. That like Squad of Legend, like it, it the closer like. It'd be interesting to see if that's how FFG actually does do like their points increase to see like, okay, this is taking a bid that deep and it's still performing well. And it's got a 13 point bid. So we're going to raise this 12 points. Um, So uh, it is an interesting aspect of the game. I understand what you're saying, Brett, but it's like, and as soon as every time they do points adjustments like that, everyone always finds a new thing to outbid or to go as low as possible to play that style of the game. But I also think it, it is an interesting aspect to the game. Um, that's part of the reason why I mostly run a 200 because I'm always expecting to move last anyway. I, I don't like taking those huge bids. Um, so I, I definitely get your concern and I'm... I don't know. I mean, I know in the most recent FFG stream they said that they were testing certain things um, for tournament play, but... They really want to go too deep into what they were talking about. So it'd be interesting to see if that is something on their uh, horizon. Um, And and just for the record, right, like I am not saying that I don't do these bad things that I'm talking about, right? Like I I always (laughs) have at least a five-point bid in my list. And sometimes, you know, as much as I think 188 is the lowest I've – no, I think I did like 184 in one little tournament. But like, I mean, so I, I I play the big game, right? It's there and it, to compete, I feel like it's something that needs to be done. So I'm certainly not pretending that like, you know, there's this horrible thing people are doing and I would never do it. Um, I'm just as guilty as, as everyone else is for that. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you actually bring that up because like a lot of times like, uh, certain different podcasts will get slack for that. They'll say like, oh my God, I can't believe you can do this and stuff like that. And then you see them come to the tournament and that's the like very thing that they're bringing is that exact thing that they were bitching about. So like, it's funny like hearing that though is because like you can like sit there and like bitch about all you want about something like that. But there's a reason that it is good, and you know if people are bitching about it, that's might be a sign that you know it's something that you should a either think about taking or b have a plan for because it's it performing well in a certain capacity. And it's something you need to be aware of. Um, and you see it all the time like with different things. So uh, I would definitely keep an eye on anything we're talking about this current episode. Uh, so you, let's let's close that out. Um, uh, so final topic of the night. Pre-movement repositioning. Is it a problem? I know Chris is probably pulling his hair out listening to this. Uh, I know my stance on this. I know Brett's stance on this. Jonathan, let me hear your stance on this. I think, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like, okay, you hear a lot of people say they want dials to matter, you know, and so I would echo that sentiment that I want dials to matter. And the more sort of shenanigans you pull around the dial, the less the dial matters. And, you know, like doing post-movement repositioning you know you there's counterplay to it but when it comes to pre the pre uh pre-dial repositioning like the that boost or that barrel especially the boost beforehand can so dramatically change like the trajectory of a ship that it's it really eliminates counterplay so i feel like supernatural reflexes and um the um it's the replacement for it the um precognitive precognitive reflexes you know and to i guess a lesser degree i guess the bb astromax even though they don't really see nearly as much play not that um you see much supernatural at its current cost but um i feel like they can that it is 
it, it, it just reduces like the importance of that move that you set on the dial. Not to talk about first edition again, but I remember flying Kylo in first edition with advanced sensors. And then it just sort of felt because back then it just sort of felt like I could put in anything I wanted on the dial. It didn't matter. I would just figure it out later, you know? So any, any sort of situation where it's like, you know, I'll just dial in this. It doesn't really matter what I dialed in. I'll just figure it out later. And it's on that same continuum as like handbrake on where he'd be like, where he could decide I'm going to stop or I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to do the inertial dampeners or not, or, um, you know, handbrake on or, uh, I guess to a lesser degree, you know, Slave One on Boba Fett or Advanced Sensors on Guri. You know, those are things where you could be like, I can go, I can go left, I can go right. You know, it doesn't really matter. I'll figure it out when, and I'll see what the board state is at that time. Whereas at least for a ship like Suntir, he commits to doing, he's committing to that, that direction, that two bank, that too hard, whatever it is. And you can put a ship there and block him. For Boba Fett or Guri, they can just, they can, like, no, I'm going to go the other way. No, I'm going to do this differently. Oh, you figured out exactly what I was going to do. But so I'll just do this other move instead. All right, Brett, let's hear your uh, defense on some of this. I feel like my thoughts are evolving on this. I'll be honest. Um, so, the, I mean, the last time I talked about this was when we uh, didn't even have points yet for Wave 4. And Chris and I were debating precog. Um, and we were, we were operating under the assumption that that card was going to cost at least 20 points on i don't remember if we were talking about i5 or, or i6 um doesn't really matter right and i was saying that i would never take it for that that's way too much of an investment for a card that completely cuts me off from any other actions um and chris was you know making very solid points that well it's it's kind of not something you need to do every turn right maybe you do it once a game but when you do it it saved you from dying um and you know i mean his arguments i i have to say they they have resonated with me a little bit um, I do find uh, the pre-movement repositions in the current state to be kind of problematic, probably more than I did beforehand. Um, right with precog at its cost right now, which is really low. Uh, I think it's 13 points on an i6. Like I would, I would completely throw that card in there if I ever had you know 13 extra points uh, for that one or two times uh, in a tournament where maybe it's gonna win me the game. Um, so maybe it's the kind of thing that that needs to be handled like, uh, you know, the old school phantoms were, um, you know, this was before I started playing. Right. But you used to be able to, to do a pre movement reposition as you were revealing your dial there and decloak and they moved it to, uh, you know, the beginning of the activation phase and now the system phase um, in 2.0. Um, and I feel like those types of pre movements wouldn't be anywhere near as bad if they were done early enough where you could get that counterplay like Jonathan was talking about, right? But if you have an I six who can basically just decide, yeah, I'm going to go the complete opposite direction of where I was going to go because you called me perfectly. You played this turn so well that I have to just do everything the opposite of what I wanted to do. That kind of does seem a little bit like a, a problem. And I do think you can cost stuff appropriately, right? Like supernatural is, 32 points, I think, on an I-6, and you don't see it much, like Jonathan said, because it is such a giant chunk. But it's not really being costed appropriately. It's just being costed to the point where they think no one's going to bring it. Um, and is that really what they want to do, to come up with these cards and then have no one actually ever run them competitively? That, that doesn't seem good either. I mean, I feel if they, if they even if they just moved it to the system phase, that would make a big difference. Yeah, I think that would make yeah. a, a huge difference. And the system phase exists for a reason, you know. But it's it like if pre if BB eight and precog and supernatural all had to kick in in system phase, I think that would solve a lot of uh, issues there. And then you could bring the prices down to where it's uh, you could bring the prices down to where you could actually play it and use it and it wouldn't be overpowered. Right, and, and doing something like that means that dials still matter for everyone, right? I need to try and guess what my opponent's dial is going to do or going to be so I know what type of reposition I want to do, and they need to, to be guessing what my dial is going to be and what reposition I'm going to do. Um, but what it would take out is the, oh, whoops, never mind, that's not going to work. I'll do something completely different now because I saw what you did aspect of it. 
So sorry, Andrew, that wasn't much of a defense, I guess, at all. <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean, like, I'm not saying that, you know, because I know when we talked about precog, um, that yeah, yeah. I mean, is 13 points enough to, um, bring something to not get that one shot one each turn? Like, maybe, absolutely. Uh, I think we've kind of seen a decline. I mean, I don't know. I don't know the numbers of how much precog was at worlds or um supernatural like i don't even remember seeing like too much of that i'm sure there was probably one or two lists that like had like two jedi that had supernatural and it probably performed very well but yeah i think i think you both hit it on the nose perfectly that um it, it maybe it should be the system phase or something like that and it, it i get it as well that like both aspects of the game that like Styles should matter, but I mean, I, I think at the same time that they've pointed it at a cost that if you want to bring it, you have to pay for it because it's that good. Um, if that makes sense. So it's interesting to see um, about worlds. I agree. I I didn't really see it anywhere. The only time I saw any type of of pre movement stuff was on Gurries. I saw a couple of Gurries. I think. That had advanced sensors, which is you know a whole nother beast, and probably you know with the bid the most problematic of all of uh, the the pre movement ones. But it, it really was not out there, and maybe that means that FFG is just either pointing it, pointing it completely out of competition. But uh, I didn't play against any, and I didn't see any at any of the tables around me in you know the entire week. Yeah, and, and like I, I know, FFG probably doesn't want to exactly what you were saying earlier. They don't want to see like anything just go out of the game um, completely. So, um, but I, I think at the same time, like it's something that we could possibly see um, someone bring and perform very well. Like I said earlier, I mean, Luke Gunner is what twenty six points, um, but there's a reason he's twenty six points is because he's giving you that advantage that dials don't matter so like it it provides an element to the game that you just don't want to play basically um and so if you want to bring it you have to pay for it but i think at the same time like it also could just be like a medic call at the moment like we might not see it because of that where you know maybe supernatural is going to come where you can bring supernatural and you know you see sunfac off the on the other side of the table um, and you have the bid, which might sound crazy, but you'll never get tractor beamed if you have Supernatural on there, right? So, but you also never afford Supernatural and a bid against Sunfact. <laughs> that's exactly that's why I said it, it might be unlikely. So, but I think at the same time, like, um, who knows what's going to come out like three waves in advance that like it might matter. Um, you know, Supernatural might get a decrease this next bid just to see, you know. Um, see it come back into the game. Like maybe that is something that like would be a good key against Sunfac. Instead of raising his price to the roof, lower stuff that you know would be good against him, and that might be something that um, might not even be good for the entire game because then everything else just kind of gets hit hard with it as well. So um, I was gonna, I was gonna say, so your solution right there was just power creep the hell out of the game. <laughs> Well, you know, I think we're on the track that it might happen, but you know, I think you know, I think TLT might work really well again. Sunfact <laughs> TLT for like yeah TLT. Uh, oh, on uh, Skurgs because then they can because uh, you can't tractor them, and then if, if we're suggesting bringing TLT yeah. back, I think we're going to lose every single listener we've ever had. Why don't we? You know, why don't we just let Miranda? Be able to regenerate our shield with TLT as well. It now could, now, now or, you're saying things I can get behind, Andrew. Like, uh, advanced slam, you know, Miranda, she just does an advanced slam, drop a bomb on Sunfac. Oh, man. That would take care of it, wouldn't it? Yeah, bombs are the key to Sunfac. Why haven't we figured this out yet? Like, let them get behind you and then just drop a bomb on them. Or, um, you know, old school, first edition Jump Masters. Oh, Bump Masters galore. I think, I, I think we're on to something. Like Dengar, well, like Dental, Dengar Tell, like Proton Torps, like they would, uh, you would, first edition Dengar would not be afraid of Sunfac. Guys, you heard it here first. We've come full circle. 
<laughs> Everything you've hated about first edition, we brought it back, and it's going to beat Sunfac. Um, no, but yeah, going back to the um, premium reposition, I understand why precognitive is 13 points. Um, it it's, feels like it's still a lot, uh, not even that much to bring for that one time that you need to be like, oh snap, I need out of here. Um, but I think at the same time, like precognitive, I'm a little bit more okay with than supernatural. But with supernatural, I'm 100% okay with it being at the points that it is right now. Uh, would you guys agree? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you see it so infrequently that the last time I played against it was like the fifth round of a, a hyperspace. And I just, it never even occurred to me that the guy would have brought supernatural. So he starts doing his supernatural stuff. I was like, oh. Maybe I should have read your list a little bit. <laughs> right. Well, I guess I'm not doing anything with sense this, this game. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so I think that's going to wrap out this episode. Um, a little bit change of pace of what we normally do. So I, I think it was fun. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Let us know what you think about any of these comments that we had today. You know, find us on Facebook. You can look at the Liberty Squadron Facebook group and our podcast page. So check us out there. Let us know if you disagree, think we're complete morons, <laughs> um, or if you completely agree with something that we said. Let us know that, like definitely. So I think I think, I think it is important to say, like at least for me personally, I still think X Wing is so incredibly fun. Where like I know I spent the last hour and change or whatever completely complaining about stuff, but I mean. I, I think we kind of ran out of topics of things that we wanted to complain about, which is really good when it was like four things. I mean, I think the state of the game is, is really fun. Um, I don't like Nantexes and most people don't either, it seems. But besides that, uh, I, I really could not be happier with with this game. And I hope it continues this way. So I don't want to make it seem like, again, I'm just being real negative about everything because it is a, a great game. Guys, I got one last topic for us. I'm sorry. Right. Okay. <clears throat> Large base turrets need to come back. Oh my! I'm not even. I I don't. And like, here's the thing: is like, I don't think I'm even joking. Like, I I think so. Like, you see Han around, uh, but you don't see Dash. You don't see any of that. You um, started to see Oiken and Rack pop up a little bit. Um, the Shadowcast is kind of popping up, but I don't know. I think that like. I know Chris is, like, again, probably pulling his hair out by me saying this, but I think we need to be in a state of the game that, like, you, you should be able to play some of these ships. And what what do you think about that? I, I definitely agree you need to be able to play some of these ships, right? And, I mean, they made it so, uh, you know, Han and the other Falcons are, are really cheap. Um, but I think they are just really terrified of making Dash too good especially because the only time in 2.0 that he was good for, uh, they had to nerf him into oblivion and completely change uh, a fact that they had already made because uh, it was just too potent. So I I think Dash, they are really scared of that four dice primary, and they're going to handle that with kid gloves, probably for another points change at least. I mean, like even Ray, you would think that the... uh resistance yt 1300 would you know be some kind of shining star in that faction but like you don't see ray you don't see uh is finn even in that thing um I, i'm like a little bit surprised that that's not around like it's it's a little shocking like i i understand why they are priced the way that they are and i understand um how good they can be if they let it get out of hand but I think at the same time, uh, like it needs to be a part of the game um, to make you think. Like and like maybe it is a little bit of a counter to the Nantax or anything like that. But I think like if you just let certain things run amok, then this might be the time for that. These things need to come out of like just come out full force. Yeah, I think. I mean, the Falcon is an iconic ship, and I think it'd be. You know, you want to see it on the table. And I think new players coming into the game are going to gravitate perhaps towards movie ships and be like, oh, I want uh, like a silencer. I want TIE Fighters, X-Wings, the Falcon. And then 
you don't want them to bring the falcon to the store and just get stomped all over by someone fortressing in the corner with like their <laughs> quad phantoms or quad star vipers you know so I, I agree i'd like to see those ships in play i think the key is to like you will have to balance their sort of action economy you want them to like if they're rotating the turret you want to be like okay you can get a mod or you could rotate your turret but you can't do both or something along that line so that they don't become too efficient but i agree i think it'd be good to see those ships back in the game and also i mean i think we really don't i don't really i i would like to see all ships on the table that like to have all ships sort of be viable for competitive play maybe not every it's not realistic to have every pilot be viable but to have every chassis be able to be to see play which is actually one of the really cool things i think there were, i think i heard there were only four chassis that were not used at all at worlds in the main event and that's that's kind of really cool that of all the options only four of them uh did not show up yeah, it amazing. Like nobody brought the uh, Scum Falcon. Yeah, that one is surprising because yeah, it was like it was the Scum Falcon, the aggressor, both aggressors, uh, and then uh, the two rebel sh- E Wing and the attack shuttle. I think. Yeah, I think you remember. Okay, so five ships. But, yeah, and then uh, there are... still, that's a good percentage. Yeah, that that's was... that's excellent. That's excellent. Yeah, going off what you said, I mean. With the the rotating the turret is like a huge um, thing in the game because um, it, it takes up action economy, which it, you know I get that they brought it into the game because everyone loved how the shadowcaster worked and they said you know that's how it should work you know with all turrets and like which is fine and uh, you know it could be as simple as something like agile gunner and I know people are probably like well then you're just telegraphing your next position of where you're going but have you ever actually tried using that like it, it's it's actually pretty decent i think the problem is that it's like eight points and that um you could spend those points elsewhere so i i don't know but i i think large bases like need to see some kind of action into the game and in some kind of capacity like even like the like thinking of those um those resistance bombers like i'm sorry that i'm bashing the resistance so much i think that like it, it would be healthy for the game um as much as i know a lot of people love small base forward arc ships um i think it would be very wise of ffg to get some of these other ships onto the tables all right yeah i mean you don't want people new players buying ships and then finding out that the stuff they spent money on is no good definitely um and like I said, like it could shift the meta like completely in some ways or, or another. Like I, again, don't get me wrong, I don't think it should be too good, but I think at the same time it would be interesting to see a. <clears throat> I mean, uh, it would be interesting to go back to worlds and see if there was any when the last large base ship, um, left the cut, and go from there. Um, other than like the lambda. Yeah, the lambda don't count. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I mean, I think if they could, um, you know how like in the separatists they have like those multi pip ships. I mean, part of the problem is I think they're afraid they don't want someone to bring, you know, like three like Jump outer masters. rim smugglers, you know, or like if they drop the prices too much. Yeah, but if they could like, I guess they won't like, um, you know, they don't want to errata cards, but if you could add pips to them where you could be like, okay, you can only bring one or two Outer Rim Smugglers in the list so someone can't spam, like, three three of those or three of the Resistance Sympathizers or something like that. Yeah, it's something they could do, like, change the rules to be like, you could only bring three of a specific name unless we state otherwise. Um, I guess that would be an option. I don't know. Oh, but like I said, that's my hot take at the <laughs> hot take Tuesday. If you're listening to this on Tuesday, um, all right. So I think that's going to do it for this episode. Any last words from you guys? Any shout outs? Anything you guys got? You know, I want to give a shout out to Buy the Same Token on Etsy. They are a token shop in the UK, and I purchased something from them. Had a mi- very minor issue, but they were very prompt in uh, in correcting it and sending me the thing that I needed. So I want to give them a shout out. 
for uh they're the guys who do those if you've seen um rob neisler shout out to local rob neisler who has the by the same token their shield tokens where it has like a star wars quote on the back when you flip it over but do they sell gritty tokens they do not okay because i know one guy who sells gritty tokens or at least gives them away with thank you notes, and that's the guy you want to go with. I don't sell anything yet, but Liberty Store maybe in the future. Um, uh, any other shout-outs? Anything final? Final? No, nothing from me. All right. Um, so, again, I want to thank everyone for listening. Um, if you enjoy the show, check us out on Patreon. Again, if you agree or disagree anything that we said, let us know. Send us a shout-out. Uh, go to the Liberty Squadron Facebook page. Check us out there. Um, or shoot us an email at libertysquadronpodcast.com. Again, if you're a fan of the show, check out Patreon as well. The thank you notes will probably be going out later this week. Uh, you should get those sweet K2SO cards and some of our Liberty Squadron target locks. They are pretty awesome. Um, so they will be in your thank you notes, and I think that's going to wrap up this episode completely, so I mm. want to say thank you. Have a good night. And fly gritty.